It's the St. Patrick's Day special of an Irishman in America with me, Jarlath Regan and Marion McKeown. And coming up on the show, we look at the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Ron DeSantis and Trump go head to head on the war on woke mind virus. There's a Stormy Daniels hush money new defence from the new Lionel Hutz, Joe Decapena. He's the no Trump lawyer you're going to need to know about. Marion explains why Jimmy Kimmel isn't funny and just a tiny bit lazy. And in the second half of the show, we look at this Russian drone that was shot down. Glenn Yunkin gets caught on the hop at the town hall. And what is the future for the undocumented Irish in America? You'll hear it all on Irishman in America today. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. When a president stands on his hind legs and says the banking system is safe, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it doesn't fill me with hope and it certainly doesn't relax me. Is that what is happening all across America with these regional banks right now, Marion? It's a really hard one to call, Jarlath, because as you say, the fact that a president has to come out and say it immediately makes people think, oh God, you know, why is this? If if this were true, why is he even bothering to say it? Why are you saying this? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's like almost a negative reinforcement. I think that to me, just being here and getting the temperature of reactions, it seems that things have calmed down since last weekend, certainly since last Friday, when the Silicon Valley Bank, when, when that imploded. And initially, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, said there'll be no bailout. And of course, by Monday, Biden was saying, well, it's not a bailout exactly. What we're doing isn't really a bailout, but you know, a bailout is a bailout by any other name. And they did step in, I think, to stop some kind of a contagion with other banks. Now, there have been a couple of other banks that have been Signature Bank, which is another sort of relatively small, relatively new bank, which interestingly has Ivanka Trump was a board member of that bank. It did loan money to her. It did loan money to Jared Kushner. It did loan money to Donald Trump. I'm not saying that there's any connection between that and it getting itself into trouble. But also Barney Frank, who was one of the co-authors of the Dodd-Frank bill, which after 2008 was supposed to put in in place the sort of regulations that would prevent another 2008 happening. And this is not what happened this time around. But however, it has to be said that the Dodd-Frank legislation was 
really rolled back to a vast extent by Trump when he became president. And he basically did the bidding as, you know, Republican presidents do of the corporate world, of the financial world. And he said, we don't need all these regulations. And so he rolled them back. And financial analysts here are saying that, yes, in part, the fact that these regulations were rolled back is in part one of the reasons that SVB did go to the wall in the way that it did. And it's one of the reasons that there may be more contagion and that other banks may do likewise, especially smaller regional banks. But it's not, I don't think, and I think it's true, they're saying it's not 2008. There isn't a whole massive glut of subprime mortgages. There isn't the same situations, the same conditions are not in place that would cause the economy to effectively torpedo. But is Uh, there such a thing as a storm in a teacup on something like this? Because with Silicon Valley Bank, and I'm going as far as I can into my limited business knowledge, even though I do claim to have some sort of business masters from the Smurfit Business School, the the understanding I have here is simple. A load of tech heads have their money in Silicon Valley Bank to work on their new tech startups. That's right. Bank bolsters that by taking these government bonds or smaller loans from the government to make sure that there's always money in the bank at all times. The small tech startups aren't making the money they thought they would at a very simple, on a very simple basis. I'm sure there's more to it than that. So those startups go to the bank and go, going to need some cash to keep going. The bank then goes back to the government and starts cashing in these smaller loans that they've taken. And as a result, somebody like Peter Thiel, who's incredibly influential, says everybody needs to get their money out of there. Now, that's very Northern Rocky to my mind. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if I could put to you that, that's a there's a, de- a couple of deeper problems in there. One, what the hell is happening with these tech startups? Why are they not making money? Two, could all of the banks have a run made on them if somebody powerful enough said, "Get your money out of there"? Yeah, that you know, I th- I think that's a really good point. Two things just to to add to what you said, which all makes perfect sense. The startups, when a lot of these startups started, it was 2020 during COVID and tech was booming during COVID because all of a sudden everyone was doing everything online. Mm -hmm. And then all of these health science companies, as they're called, started up where you could order all kinds of health supplements online, all kinds of health tests, whatever, online. The The COVID tech bubble, yeah. Exactly. The banks were throwing money at them. And so SVB got a huge amount of money in from investors to do this. And at one point, it had more money. It had about $150 billion on its books. More than it, it, it had more than it could loan out, even though the startups were coming out and wanting money and money and more money. But what happened then, the second part of the equation, as I understand it, is the interest rates and the inflation played into it. So what you had then was you had a situation where, and this is where other banks may also be, I think, slightly vulnerable. And I am no 
finance expert. But you had, so what happened was they were buying government bonds, as you said, and then, but they were only, they were charging, interest rates were going up. So they're charging 5% interest on their loans, but they're not paying it out to depositors. Depositors are still getting only about half a percent. So what they're doing is really fundamentally stupid and greedy. And, you know, the usual mistakes that banks make. Mm. So they don't like, so if you're a depositor, you might think that the, your, the rate, the interest rate on your deposits will go up to two or 3% or whatever. So what a lot of people started doing was looking at this and saying, well, why are we investing? Why are we depositing money with this bank when we're only getting half percent weak by government bonds ourselves and get 5%? So what the hell are we doing here? So they started taking money out for that reason as well. So you had almost the two things running together. And then exactly as he said, when somebody like Peter Thiel says, get your money out, everyone, the stampede just starts immediately because they know that this guy has made his money or a vast portion of it by being ahead of the curve, by spotting these situations, and in some cases exacerbating these situations, it has to be said. So I think that that was really a big part of it. But I think that the problem is with these banks, as I said, that on the one hand, that interest rates have gone way up for loans, but depositors are not getting the flip side of that coin. And so they're thinking, well, why, why am I letting my money sit here and do nothing? Well, so I, isn't it so interesting that, like you say, that maybe the tech side of what I said isn't... No, it's a, it's a big part of it. Okay, but the, the celebrity part of this is the culture that we live in now. I'm reading a headline here that T-Mobile has bought Ryan Reynolds' Mint Mobile in a $1.35 billion deal. Now that's like that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of celebrity power. That if somebody like Harry Styles turns around and goes, oh, I don't believe in HSBC, I'll keep my money under my mattress. I mean, I'm not saying that all these teenage girls are going to pull all their millions of dollars out, but it does worry me that yeah. now people of this power can say this. And we know that these people have this power. We've witnessed that. That's what the Donald Trump cult of celebrity was in its essence. And I wondered, could Silicon Valley Bank sue Peter Thiel for what he's done to them? Because had he not done that, they may have weathered this storm. Well, I think that you're right in part, because again, $42 billion worth of money deposits was withdrawn last Friday in a 24-hour period, $42 billion. Now, now, uh, SVB is, I think, the 16th largest bank in America or thereabouts, but no bank can sustain that kind of a, just, that's a hemorrhage, you know, literally. And so I think that that is a really good point. But you may remember when Donald Trump became president first, and he started slagging off certain companies and saying, oh, this is a rubbish company. I think there was one particular car manufacturer, people, corporations that did not endorse him or did not play ball with him or did not do what he wanted them to do. He started dissing them and then their stock price would would take a header as well. So I think you're right that there is an element of this that, that but I do know also that, and again, this is another thing, investors, was there an element of insider trading going on this? Mm. Well, there were investors who were saying 
to some of these startups. And some of them, I heard some of them being interviewed on TV here and on NPR, um, who were saying, well, we were told by, and they didn't name them, get your money out immediately, get your money out today. Because these people were, were acting on inside information that they had got. And so you wonder, you know, there, there should be a lot of legally shady areas involved in all this. And I'm not sure where this, and of course, then you have the CEO who sold, I think, $3.5 million worth of shares about two weeks earlier. Why did he suddenly offload a chunk of his shares? So I think there are a number of things that need to be looked at far more forensically and objectively to do with this. And I think that we will see then if there is a knock-on effect, but it does seem to me that if I were looking at this again, and, and we saw with Credit Suisse now that they're also in trouble. And of course, I have to throw it in just because it was so absurd. Ron DeSantis and his various cronies all suggested that SVP had gone under because it was a woke bank and they were so busy being woke and using gender pronouns as they believe they should, that they weren't paying attention oh, to the channel. You know, and, yeah. and the irony of this, because it's the same people, it's wealthy white men who continue to run the banks. It's not suddenly being run yeah. by, by hipsters. Banks, people, you know, <laughs> yeah, but do a job. When you say, will we see a knock on there? I mean, the headline on CNN this morning is that global markets react to this credit Swiss deal yeah. and stocks are swinging wildly at the That's moment. Right. I don't imagine that this is the end of this and probably there's not much more point in talking about it any further right now because we're going to have to see how the next week plays out. I guess the next place we need to go is Ron DeSantis because he is still on his book tour contemplating running. I mean, that's just a, that's just a thing, right? That, that you go out on your book tour and suddenly you have the idea to run for president based on the success of your book. That this is all just a charade, right? And the battle between him and Trump has escalated even further this week. Oh, look, it's getting more absurd. I think we have to say every week. So Ron DeSantis was in Iowa last week. Now, we all know that when it comes to, well, the Democratic primaries have changed for 24, but when it comes, and it has happened for decades, certainly for as long as I've been covering presidential races, Iowa has is always the first stop, or used to be, and it still is for Republicans, on the tour, the primary tour. So you've got Iowa, you've got Nevada, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and they're the top four. And then you've got the Super Tuesday, but really momentum starts pretty well in Iowa and Nevada. And if you're not making a showing within the first three or four, it's time to drop out of the race. So what happens is the year before the primaries, all of the likely candidates hit Iowa and they blitz it and they blitz it. Now, God help them. I've been to Iowa several times it, it's freezing cold for about eight months of the year. It's bleak. It's very sparsely populated. There are a lot of farmers there, but Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley's been up there as well, and Mike Pompeo and all the gang. Ron DeSantis was there last week, so Trump was there, of course, this week. Now, when Ron DeSantis was up there, he was hedging around the whole thing of is he running for president and promoting his thrilling book, The Courage to Be Free, and talking about the woke mind virus. You know, I don't even know what that means. I don't think Ron DeSantis knows what a woke mind virus is, but I'm going to make a prediction now. And I think I've said to you before, I've been to Iowa and New Hampshire, those places, they could care less about Ron DeSantis's wokeness because these are farmers. These are people who care about 
the price of prescription drugs. There are people who care about whether or not they'd be able to keep selling ethanol. There are people who care about the farm prices. They're, they're, you know, it, it's irrelevant. This stuff that DeSantis is running up and down Florida doing, really bullying transgender communities, bullying gay communities, bullying liberal colleges, all of that stuff, bullying Disney. It's a million miles away from these places like Iowa and all the rest of it. And I think he's going to have to change his tune pretty quickly. But we had Trump there on Monday and Trump, and sometimes you do have to laugh, he was talking about DeSantis and how only for him DeSantis would be nothing. And he said that, but for him, DeSantis would probably be working in a law firm or even a pizza hut. And I'm not sure which he thinks is worse. <laughs> I suspect he thinks a pizza hut might be better. Certainly the way he treats his lawyers and the way he pays his lawyers, he's probably he's, right. He pays them about the same, yeah. I'd, I'd say slightly less. But so he's really laying into DeSantis now. It's open warfare and you know, trying out his headlines and his nicknames and all this kind of thing. He's basically he's like a stand-up comic who's trying new material. Now mm. so far what hits. Getting, He's getting a mixed result because it was noticeable when he was in Iowa, they were cheering him on and they love Trump in Iowa and he has 80% favorability ratings up there. But when he started into DeSantis, you could hear and feel the applause kind of tapering off and like kind of not really sure they wanted to go there with him just yet. So what he has done now is he has had his cronies file a complaint and you've got to laugh at the irony of Trump filing an ethics complaint <laughs> against anyone, against anyone in the world. Um, but he, his, his ethics complaint on what grounds? Make America Great Again, Inc., which is his one of his um, super PACs, are filing a complaint against Ron DeSantis on the ground, the grounds that basically what he is doing is he's running a shadow presidential campaign, that he hasn't declared it and he's running a shadow campaign. And this is not fair to the poor people of Florida who think that he's their governor, where in fact he couldn't care less about being their governor at all. And he's up there in Iowa and he's not doing his job as governor and he's making money for a presidential run that he hasn't declared. Now, the problem with all of this is making an ethics complaint to the Florida Ethics Commission is five of the appointees are DeSantis appointees. And DeSantis is a bully. We have seen him fire people who don't do his bidding in Florida. We've seen him harass them. We even saw with Disney where he went in there and he took over the Disney sort of fiefdom that was basically run and regulated by Disney. And he's now in charge of it. So I don't see the Florida Ethics Commission taking this any too seriously. But, you know, the sort of the battles going on and he's saying he told the Iowans, well, he wants to take away your ethanol subsidies. Like he's bad on ethanol. He's bad on this. So he is starting to talk more about policy. He's also talking about social security and Medicare, which a lot of people in Iowa and everywhere in America, a lot of the over 65s are really worried that the Republicans, even though they're saying we won't touch it, that in fact, they absolutely do intend to touch it and to really axe it. And DeSantis at one point when he was in Congress said he thinks that the age limit should be lifted to over 70. Now, you know what? Over 70 is fine for people who have sedentary jobs or who have professional jobs. But if you're a farmer who's working in the freezing weather in Iowa for six or eight months of the year, if you're a manual worker, if you're a factory worker where you're taking a physical battering over the years from your job, you don't want to work to 70. 
you know, sure, you're a banker, that's fine. It's not going to take too much out of you. So I think that this is something that in rural areas they really are, and in poor areas they are genuinely concerned about. And so Trump is hitting DeSantis on policy at this stage as well. And DeSantis has come back. And to me, it's really bizarre. He singled out Ukraine and described it as a territorial dispute that the US shouldn't be involved in. Now, I don't know what kind of a game. He's a smart guy in a lot of respects. But to me, the way he's gearing up for this campaign, between his war on woke, which he keeps beating people over the head with, and then coming out and saying stuff like this about Ukraine, it's kind of hostages to fortune because in a year's time, who knows? God, I hope that war is over. I really do, but I doubt it. The civil war in Syria hit its 12th year just this week. And I don't see any, and I don't think many people see any imminent end to the war in Ukraine. And so he really is, for him to say that, it's such pandering to the Marjorie Taylor Greens and such pandering to the Trump, you know, sort of, 30% of the Republican vote, that it's absolutely disgusting because you would think, A, he should know better. And for him to say it at the moment, when we all know that Russia is gearing up, when we see what's been going on in Ukraine for the last couple of weeks, the level of casualties, when we see Russia attacking sort of nuclear energy facilities and doing all kinds of things, for him to say this is a local territory dispute is obscene. It's not just a... Like it's such a game, though. It really does. When he says things like this and when you watch this, when I try to tune into this battle between DeSantis and Trump, it does turn your stomach a little bit because it just is so obvious that that's a nice little football to bat back and forth on this. I'm like, we shouldn't be there. Our boys will wind up there and that'll be a terrible thing. And uh, none of them have any great interest morally or otherwise in the place or the people or what's actually happening on the ground. It's just a fantastic way to get applause in a state like Iowa. And uh, that makes me a bit sick and it makes me wonder do I have the stomach for this for another year, Marion? I mean, we're oh. looking down the barrel of this back and forth for so long ahead of us. Do you Why? at all worry for your sanity facing into this week in, week out? I certainly worry for your sanity. I've got to tell you, after CPAC, I thought, oh, my God, can you know, this is, this, you do. And the thing is that it's it's sort of... It looks, nobody can tell. Now, we've got to say that it really looks like indictments may be very imminent for Trump on two fronts. The one in New York with this involving the Stormy Daniel hush money, it looks like that could be coming down the pipe, I would say, early next week. Now, I think that one of the things that happened, you know, yes, this is, There is some debate, and I understand why strategically, about whether or not Alvin Bragg is doing the right thing here, whether or not he should have focused on other areas of bigger fraud within the Trump organization instead of sort of dropping the ball and stumps on some things and then picking up this ball. Now, yes, there is a legitimate case to to look into. We know that Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, went to prison, got a three-year prison sentence for his involvement. We know that in that case, there were references to individual one who the court agreed had directed Michael Cohen's actions. And we all know that individual one was Donald Trump. So I I think that 
But I suspect that if this case comes first, and which it looks like it might now, people are going to say, oh, look, they're just going after Trump. They're just going after Trump. He didn't want it to come out that he had an affair with a porn actress. And Trump's defense, okay, Trump's defense, I've got to say, this is is unbelievable. Go ahead. (laughs) So Trump has a new lawyer called Joe Tacopina. Now, Joe Tacopina, I suspect he might have found him in Pizza Hut. (laughs) Or Central (laughs) Casting. Oh, my God. Joe Tacopina, the lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> or, and he looks like he should be, you know, Tony Soprano's lawyer. And he sounds like my cousin Vinny. You may remember the comedy, my cousin Vinny, with the crazy lawyer, Joe Pesky, was playing the lawyer. The guy is honestly, he, you would have to see him. He was being interviewed um, earlier this week on MSNBC. And he was asked about Trump lying, that Trump did lie about saying he knew nothing about paying money to Stormy Daniels. And he said, well, a lie to me is something you do under oath in a legal procedure, like anything else is not a lie. And then the host of the show picked up a piece of paper to quote some stats at him and dates. And he he leaned across the desk and tried to grab the paper. And then he started saying, put that paper down, put that paper down. We don't need that. We don't need that. It was like an insane comedy yeah, sketch. We need this clip. We've got to drop this yeah. clip in here at this point. This is too good. I'll drop that in. Don't worry. That sounds fantastic. If that's what you're going to consider a lie. A lie to me is something material under oath in a proceeding. Well, I didn't say not, perjury. I said a lie. Not, yeah, but that's not a lie. That's co- that's not a lie. No, here's why it's not a lie. That's not a lie. Here's why it's not a lie. Could you? Did you know paper, about this? Did you? Did you? Let me. Let me. Did you know about this? Yeah, no, no, I don't. No, we don't need that. <laughs> Who is this guy? Do we have any background on this dude? Is he? Has he's he been in the organization really, long? That's a lawyer. No, he's a newbie. But he's a he's an established lawyer in New York. He's a Brooklyn lawyer. He's done work for. He's not somebody who just came out with his the the print drawing on his law degree. You know, he's been around. He's about. 50. He's and he and Michael Cohen, of course, despise each other. And so they're both calling each other liars and idiots and morons and etc. But then Takabina came up with another line, which was he said that the reason Donald Trump didn't tell the truth about the Stormy Daniels settlement was that basically it was a confidential settlement. So if he had told the truth, he'd be violating the NDA that he signed. So of course he had to lie, because even though it was his own, he insisted and drafted this non-disclosure agreement, he he was, he was bound by it. And then the other threat to the defense is that, in fact, this was an extortion plot. Stormy Daniels, who Trump again has been writing vile things about this week on his Truth Social, was extorting Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said, look, to Michael Cohen, you go and deal with it, but don't do anything illegal. And how was Trump to know that Michael Cohen would do something illegal? So that's the other line they're coming up with. And then if all else fails, you go back to poor Melania. So poor Melania. And they're saying, because the fine point here, the fine legal point is that why did Trump do this? Did he do it to improve his chances of being elected. It seems evident that he did, in which case the campaign finance violation aspect does come into play, or did he do it to stop Melania beating him over the head? And he's claiming now, and his lawyer is claiming, oh, it was nothing to do with the election. I could have cared less about the election. I just didn't want to upset poor Melania. Now, Melania's- My wife was (laughs) crying the blues, Your Honor. I had to do it. Exactly. But Melania's former press secretary, the tangle of all this, Stephanie Grisham has come out and said several times and written in her book that Melania knew all about it and she could have cared less. 
because mm. frankly, she, cause you know, she knew what she was in for. She knew who she was marrying. And, yeah. it, you know, this this Stormy Daniels thing just doesn't seem to want to go away or seems to like we've been talking about it for how many years now? Oh my, what, is there an end in sight at all? Uh, I have a huge, well, she spoke with the prosecutors on Wednesday. So she had a, a in, an interview with them as well. Now, she may not be called as a witness, but I suspect they just wanted to make sure that all the ducks were lined up and that there'd be no surprises. But it does seem that, that the last step now, Trump was invited to testify. He didn't testify. What happens next week if he is indicted in this or indeed in Florida, he has to appear before the court he has to be fingerprinted. He has to have a mugshot taken. These are all things that I don't think America is kind of ready for because he's not just a former president. He's a really recent former president. And I suspect that some of this will just, obviously a lot of it is going to make America even more entrenched and more polarized than it already is. But I think that his base will rally around him even harder as a result of this. But then there's also been some reports today in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is a pretty solid solid paper in Georgia. It's a sensible paper. And again, the grand jury that Fannie Willis, the special grand jury that she convened, there was another spokesperson, not the spokeswoman, who I thought really spoke out of turn and had no business saying what she did in interviews. But there was somebody else who said that the stuff that they've heard if the country knew about it, they would be a lot more united and a lot of this polarization would go away. The implication being that they were so shocked by what was revealed to them as a grand jury. So I don't know where any of this is going to end up. And I don't think at this stage anybody does, but we are in for a roller coaster. Oh my God, I, I want to know what that stuff is. I mean, if you are saying that you've got a silver bullet for polarization, if people knew what I know, yeah. I really need that info or I need it leaked. Does stuff like that get leaked? Do, or is there something that is just beyond or above leaking? Penalties for a special grand jury leaking. And I think even for papers who would publish it. Now, clearly, if there is a trial and an indictment, it will come out in that. The say, you know, the witness testimony, the evidence, it will all, it will all come out. And then, of course, just because you got to cover all the bases, it could be that this particular individual was saying the opposite: that if people saw how Trump had been bullied and victimized and lied about and slandered, that the country would become polarized in his favor. There is always that very, very slight possibility. But in the interest of balance, you know, you've got to say it. We always assume that it's going to be, oh my God, what has he done now? But in fact. We don't know. We don't know because these hearings are very confidential. And even though there has been a lot of sort of teasing and of leaks and little drips of information, which apparently is perfectly legal, I think it's inappropriate. But no, that this is American law and the jurors haven't done anything wrong by disclosing these sort of tidbits of information. But I, as I say, I just think we're in for a real rocky ride over the next several months. And who knows what's going to happen? But I think, the, as I said, the physical aspects of indictment, the mugshots, the fingerprinting, all of that stuff, the perp walk. I'm not saying that Trump will be brought to court. It certainly won't be in handcuffs. He is a former president. But, you know, th this is the optics of this, like having opponents who can use a mugshot in mm -hmm. 2024.
of a candidate. I just can't see it happening. I just I don't know how that works. But in the same way, I couldn't see the host of the Oscars this year walking out and making jokes about drunken fighting Irish people. Yet that is what we had to sit through. What was your take on this? Because I've certainly had to field a lot of calls on what 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 is comedy and will Irish stereotypes ever go away? It was a disappointing night for the Irish at the Oscars. But yeah. this was probably one of the bigger disappointments. But the weird thing is that, and I think you you will know much more about this than me, but the first rule of comedy is surely it has to be funny. Surely that is, you know, that is where you got to start. It's got to be funny. Now, I don't believe that comedy has to offend nobody, that, that nobody mm. can be or whatever. I mean, I think that it should be provocative. And I think, but yeah, this was be on the edge. Yep. Yeah increasing stereotype that's a hundred mm. years old. There was nothing new about how it was presented. There was nothing new about the content. There was nothing. It was dull and lazy. And honestly, I think Jimmy Kimmel should have been better than that. He's an okay late night host. He can be yeah. decent. He's genial. He's in the Johnny Carson mold. He's a likable guy. I mean, there were some lovely moments. I did laugh when they brought on the donkey that was an opposing a Jenny, <laughs> a Jenny imposter. <laughs> you know? I mean, there were, there were some, and you know, sorry, Cocaine Bear, even the name of that film cracks me up. Every time I see Donald Trump do here, I think it's Cocaine Bear, the poster. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a I don't know if the first rule is funny it's probably the, the fundamental of it is you know funny yeah. but what funny is to everybody is different um, certainly when I was asked about this I understand that he's got a monologue to do which is an exceptionally difficult thing to do to the biggest possible audience so what tends to happen is you go to the simplest things that everybody can understand and you no, throw the simplest ball that everyone can catch. And the simplest ball when it comes to Irish people is this old stereotype. But as you say, it's lazy. It's, it's just lazy. You know what I don't get about it? It's like he was he was being interviewed about doing the Oscars and I watched it, because, you know, just to see. And he said, I think there's something like 20 or 30 writers and they all submit about six jokes and then he takes the best of those and then there's another round and you do. Don't tell me that was one of the best jokes that was submitted yeah. because yeah. frankly, if, if it was, I would hate to have seen the rest because that was, it, as I said, just the staleness of it, the laziness of it, forget the stereotyping and forget the, you know, the, the insult that it, that it is. Uh, but but are we too sensitive? That's the next question, because I obviously do jokes about different countries' attitudes towards drinking and our versus our own. I mean, I talked about it in terms of the kidney donation and going to the Mayo Clinic and the doctor asking me, how many drinks do you typically have at an Irish wedding? And me making the point that nobody ever counts, that the question is how long, not how many. And I always say yeah. that the difference there is it's us making those jokes. And yeah, that's a big difference here, that if Jimmy Kimmel was Irish in himself, I don't it's think we'd mind. Funny. No, I. you know what? If he made a joke that was really funny about yeah. Irish... Yeah, even this one's just not funny. I think we would laugh. And, and, and that's why I say it's the first rule is, for God's sake, make it funny. That's all, mm. you know, that's 
first, it's like first do no harm for a doctor. Comedians first make it funny. And, you know, and I don't think if he'd said something pretty edgy and possibly offensive to Irish people, if it was really funny, we'd all laugh. We'd all laugh. You know, I I don't think. And you're right because there, but there is an element of it's like, you can, you know, if you can, can do those jokes, dare anyone else say a word yeah, about your exactly. and you're yeah. cover and you're down their neck. And I think there is a thing that, that we can do those jokes. And as you say, it's, and I remember your, your material because we could all relate it when you were talking about, well, I don't as much as my friends. I don't think that much. You know, and yeah. Standards by which we we assess, we measure, our, yeah, our drinking is by the by the Egypts that we hang around with. But again, there's subtlety to that. It isn't just diddly idly hushed juices. Aren't we all drunk all the time? Uh, it is St Patrick's Day. Happy St Patrick's Day to you, Marion. Happy St Patrick's Day to all of you all listening today. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad. What better way to celebrate being Irish than enjoying the 15% discount on membership that I'm offering today? Come on over and hear conversations with the greatest Irish people ever to have lived, including Marion. There's a huge interview with Marion. Find out her backstory over on patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad today. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.